Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Mind Your Marketing. Today, joining me is Emil Shore. He is the founder at Catalyst Content. Emil is big in all things SEO content. I'm excited to chop it up. Emil, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Good to be on. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be good to go through, you know, your background, content, SEO is such a widely, you know, talked about thing and I think loosely understood. <laughs> so I'm excited to hop in. But before we do, give people the Coles Notes version of, you know, who you are, kind of your history in the industry and uh, how you got to, you know, starting Catalyst Content. Yeah. So we try to give the short version for the last Eight years, I started basically running demand gen performance marketing teams at various VC-backed companies. And SEO and content was really where I got my foundation. That's what I started as, like as an SEO specialist. You know, as the team grew, I got more responsibility, headed up demand gen teams at, like I said, a couple places. But SEO and content was always that thing that I always kept in-house because I was good at it. And I always, you know, had people on my team or hired agencies that was handling ads and stuff like that. And then about two years ago, you know, I was doing some client stuff on the side and I just felt like I'd created this playbook at several of these companies to grow organic traffic a ton. And so two years ago, stepped out on my own and started an SEO agency. Unreal. And before we get into like the SEO conversation, I want to get into a little bit, I guess, entrepreneurship questions, because there's probably a lot of people listening to this who are, you know, working in a marketing department, they're cutting their teeth, they're getting that experience. Was there a... I don't want to call it breaking point, but was there that aha moment or was there, was it just like you had the playbook and you're like, you know what, this is valuable. I can take it out. Was it, you wanted more time freedom? Like what was the major impetus to be like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like handing in the two weeks. Thank you very much. Let's do this consultancy. Right. Yeah. So I had wanted to jump out on my own in some capacity, either start a company or, you know, I'd been freelancing on the side for a while. And I was like, yeah, I kind of like that. I'm not sure if I want to do that full time, you know, run an agency. But honestly, it was like I'd hired so many agencies in my career and I know what they're getting paid and I saw the quality of a lot of them. And I'm like, I can't believe they're making this much. And like, this is what they turn around. You know, I was in my the back of my head. I'm like, man, if I were to do this, I would do it, you know, like X, Y, Z and it would be better. And so like just being an in-house marketer and seeing how a lot of agencies service in-house, I just felt like I had a good idea of how to make the experience better, how to deliver better for clients. And I just wanted to do it. I don't know. All of a sudden I was just like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'd built up enough of like a cash savings where I was like comfortable making that leap. And I was like, all right, I'm going to give myself six months, see if I can build a client base. And yeah, man, just, just hit the ground running. I love that. I love the like testing the water freelance and then to using the side, like being on brand side and hiring, like you said, hiring all those agencies, you've got to see, Hey, what does a proposal look like? What's a good proposal look like? What does good work look like? What does shit work look like? Okay. Right. Some agencies getting 10K a month to deliver dog shit. And you're like, okay, I can do better than this. Like, you know, and you kind of have that aha moment or that thing that goes, all right, I'm doing it. And then obviously you made it through the six months and now you're probably never going back. So that's a kudos to you on that front. I do want to hop now into some of the SEO side of things. All right. SEO, search engine optimization, talked about by a lot of people. If you go in and I want to hear kind of like when you talk to people, if you're explaining it to them, Let's say they are corporate. It's a CEO who goes, hey, I own this company, right? I own a water bottle company. 
And we need to just like, I want to, I'm trying to go out there. I got money for paid social. I got money for SEO, but like, what is it? What do we do? Do you ever, like, you know, that kind of that person who they're a great operator of their business. They know how to like, they got their cogs in order. They're ready to go. They've got great product. How do you explain what SEO is to them? Yeah. I mean, you know, most people have an idea. We all search in Google. It's those organic results under the ads. You know, Google's gotten really good at making those, those first couple links look like they're organic listings as well, but those are ads at the top that people are paying for. And then it's the listings beneath that. And so, you know, Google's an algorithm. There's a way to game it. You know, no one wants to call it that, you know, a lot of white hat SEOs, if you've heard white hat, like doing it by Google's book, just create good content and good things happen. Well, sounds nice in a vacuum in a box, but you know, Google's an algorithm, it's a machine and there's ways to game it and to manipulate it in your favor. And so that is what a good SEO does is they work in multiple industries or they, you know, know their industry really well and know what affects rankings and they just execute on that. It's honestly really yeah. boring stuff, but it's just like chopping wood and, and doing it over and over again. It's interesting, right? Like the white hat, the marketing purists do no wrong, just create great thing. The black hat, which is full-blown cheating, your site's going to get banned eventually. And then the gray hat in between, right. I've said this on the show a lot where like marketing purists come for me where I'm like, no, the content has to lead to a sale at some point. Otherwise, like we're the arts and crafts department. And right. I believe that too with SEO, right? Like you can have the greatest piece in the world about, I don't know, the history of the, the Roman empire. But if you're selling something completely unrelated to that, it doesn't matter. That Ray, that ranks really high. Hey, we got all these views, all these clicks, but nobody ever went down the funnel and actually converted. Talk to me a little bit about what a long tail keyword is. A lot of people say this and they just think it means a long word. I think it's one of the things that like most people don't actually understand what a long tail keyword is. So can you break that down and like how that content kind of, you know, relates to SEO? Yeah. So let's use an example like project management software, right? That's a huge term, head term right? Like a lot of searches, a lot of people competing for it. You know, if you throw that keyword in a keyword research tool, like Ahrefs tool that a lot of SEOs use, you'll see that everything on page one has hundreds of sites linking back to it. And so it's just a really, really hard place to win. Most people aren't even looking for like project management software when they go to make a decision to buy project management software. Instead, what people are looking for is like more long tail searches. That's where the majority of searches are happening. And the longer it is, usually someone has a really specific problem, like project management software for accounting firms, right? Now I've niched down into somebody really specific. And so there's just a lot less people playing in those nooks and crannies. There's still a ton, you know, long tail has gotten, everyone knows about long tail, everyone knows like zero search queries are a thing. And you can create a lot of customers from those as well. But like that is where you're getting somebody who has something really specific need and where you typically just get better intent and higher conversion rates off that traffic. I love that. And that's where I would say if you're listening to this, like if you have an SEO agency, they should be working with you to understand or you should be telling them exactly who your buyer persona is, the problems they have. Like that should be a very collaborative and breathing, living and breathing document on the persona to go, what's the pain point of buyer? And what's a, hey, is the customer service team, are they hearing this question over and over and over again? Should it be in the FAQ? Should we create content? Should we do a video series? Like all of those things that I think sometimes the SEO team can be like siloed and it's right. not getting in with the, you know, the CS team or the sales team to actually hear what the hell the customer is talking about, their needs, their wants, et cetera, and then making the content to backfill that. Now, SEO is, is fascinating to me from the SEO community. 
now there's like the creator, the YouTuber community, there's like the marketing Twitter, then there's like SEO Twitter, which I am not in, but I definitely see the tweets. Why do SEOs all hate each other? <laughs> Dude, I, I have no idea. I tweeted about this. I was like, man, if I had to go to a party between SEOs and like people in ads advertising, I would 100% choose like advertisers. Like SEOs are bickering online, like always trying to point out why someone's wrong. And the funny thing is, is it's like so much of that is theory based and it's not like it's so hard to be objective with SEO because, man, the game is played differently in different industries, different, you know, affiliate versus a brand versus even SaaS, e-commerce, different like different verticals. It's such a different game. So like to blanket statement things is just ridiculous. I have no idea why. I think a lot of SEOs are naturally introverted. And so mm-hmm. like, I don't know, they just get online and puff in their chest. And it, I think it, a lot of people do it. And so it sets that example for the community. I think when you have like, you know, I used to be more involved in like the real estate community when I was a real estate investor on Twitter. And people are just like more encouraging and sharing information and trying to get better. And I think that's the tone that is set in the community. I think SEO Twitter has just like set a tone for negativity and calling each other out. So I'm with you, man. I'm not really like part of that community. I like to hang out more so with like niche site operators and people who are kind of doing their own thing and also helping with clients or like one or the other, but like SEO in-house Twitter or whatever, not a fan personally. Yeah. It's super toxic. And I feel like the rules of engagement, it's like very like, I'm going to tear someone down and build myself up. And to your point, the rules of the game are different, right? Like you could go in and for someone, what we mean by that is if you run, let's say a moving company and you need people to come in and book moves, it's going to be different than if you had a real estate website that has 100,000 pages and the listings have to flip over every three days and you're trying to get them indexed in time. And every other single real estate company has the exact same listing data. Like that's a way different problem than trying to work some of the content for those long tail keywords for other things. And like a lot of times people take the context out and they just like blanket or they just say their platitudes or their blanket advice. And I'm always like, what? It depends. You know, I always come back to like, I feel like if I was going to start an agency today, I would call it, it depends because it really is, you know, for each industry and everything is so different. And I love that you're not orbiting in that. And I would say anybody too, marketing Twitter can get like super toxic at times. So just getting out of that and not comparing, you know, the work of maybe you're working with a startup e-com company and then you start comparing your work to somebody who works for Coca-Cola or something. You're comparing somebody with a $100 million budget to you know a 50K budget. And you're like, this is not even the same pond, right? Right. And it's super easy to you know show HRF's graphs and like show people traffic. But the thing is, is a lot of times no one is showing you the back end. Like how much is that converting? You know, sometimes people will say like blanket things like, oh, our SEO campaigns drove millions for this customer. And it was like, you're just saying all organic for this customer while you were there. And you're kind of just, you're not saying like incremental lift from what you did. It's really, you know, marketers are very good at marketing. They know how to phrase things in a way and it's just hard to validate. So, you know, you got to just take a lot of things you see online, especially on social media with with a grain of salt. Yes. Any screenshots? I'm always like, get out of here. I don't want to see like screenshots. I'm always like, that doesn't tell the whole story. It's very, very convenient. I'm also big on, uh, I push back against last click attribution. I think it's the most overrated thing in marketing. I think it's just incorrectly rated. It's more kind of where I'm at, where people are like, it's oh, like this led to this. And I'm always like, nobody buys anything on a linear path. Like that's just not 
how this happens. They don't go click, 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 buy a car. They go and they research. They watch a bunch of YouTube videos on why they should get a Ford Explorer before right. they go to the dealership, right? But the dealership's like, nope, they click the Google ad. Google ads are selling cars. And I'm like- I mean, it's, it's tough, man, especially like, you know this, as an agency, at the end of the day, right? Like, let's look in this environment, recession, marketing budget cuts. Everyone wants to see- what channels are making the actual dollars, right? So like your job as an agency, you have to do it. You have to try to show exactly what your efforts are doing. Yes, traffic could be nice. Yes, we're educating people. Look at the time on page, balance rate, all those things. But like at the end of the day, everyone is just driven by dollars and cents. So I get it. I get why you have to do it. And, you know, we all clamor for last click or whatever. But yeah, it's tough, man. You're right. Like I rarely buy something just based off of like one interaction e-commerce i think is a little different like i've yeah clicked on a facebook ad of something in the google results that i didn't really know and i didn't really go research it i was like okay cool this is like something i need and it's 40 bucks whatever let's just do it it's that the price under a hundred dollar thing right like yeah i've bought t-shirts before off facebook but i'm not going to make a like multi thousand dollar per month software decision off of a facebook ad right so i'm always like okay how do we bake that out and then i'm with you because in this time and marketers and one of the things with this show, I'm big on like, we have to show that we're a profit center. We have to show that. But it's one of the hardest things to do. I'm much more interested in understanding. And this is where companies, if you're listening, you have to share revenues, margin, cogs, everything with your marketing provider. Because if they don't know, they're not going to understand if they're moving the bottom line or targeting. For instance, we were working with a company just to give an example, and they have different shipping costs, right? And I found out that like, oh, it was like a break even slash lose money if they ship to one side of the country. And it was way more profitable in other parts of the country. And mm-hmm. we don't know that until six months in to working. And I'm yeah. like, what do you mean? How is that not, how is that information not divulged? Like that we have margin on one side of the country, but the minute we ship this product, it's not, right? What are we even doing shipping stuff? It's on paper. They go, yep, here was the ass on the ad spend. I'm like, no, no, we're spending money to get in front of them with brand plays. We're spending money with all this other stuff. Like we're just losing money even going after that person until we get distribution there. So right. I try to look at it from, I take a step out and I have to get agreements with the executives to go top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom funnel, where are we slotting in each activity? And really being crystal clear with people when we do a social campaign, for instance, I'm like, this is a top of funnel brand awareness thing. I do not want, our goal for this is impressions by XYZ type of customer. I do not want to be held to a sales number on this like brand campaign. Obviously, we want to see sales come up. And the more we do, we want to correlate it. But that's been hard as hell to do because I feel like the more data we get, the more answers people want. But it's just impossible to like... Even the idea of a funnel is hilarious because people jump in and out of it. But um, it's like one of the hardest things to do. And like you're right. When you're competing for spend, it's like, where do you start, right? Do you have a preferred way to do it? Assisted conversion to total conversion? Are you, you know, how are you dealing with attribution and some of those challenges that maybe come to you as the, you know, SEO or they say, hey, prove to me it's worth it, right? How do you handle that? Yes. Yeah, so for e-commerce, it's a little easier because everything's usually set up in Google Analytics, right? You can tie revenue to certain channels. Hard to do it to keyword, but we can at least get on the page level, right? This page is converting X amount, it's bringing in this many dollars. So E-commerce is always the easiest. The toughest, as you know, is like anything lead driven. So a lot of our customers are on HubSpot, which HubSpot is pretty good at tracking. So like we'll look at 
okay, organic traffic to pages that we usually touch, which is the blog. That's usually where we're the most focused, especially for SaaS, right? Like, you know, they have some product pages and stuff, but we're focused on using content to get in front of their customers at, with the right intent. So HubSpot allows you to see, okay, this person came in organic. This is, you know, first page scene, and then here's the deal amount. So that's usually what we're using. But again, it's like someone hits the blog, right? They don't convert, but now they get hit with retargeting. They convert off that, like into an email and then whatever sales works to them and yada, yada, yada. All those things, you know, it's not going to show up in my reports that I'm showing the client. So this is the part where you as the agency owner or freelancer in-house person, it's about expectation setting. So like in your early calls, you know, getting a feel for people, seeing how they look at things, like are they just looking at first touch, they understand that, you know, like what you and I are talking about, right? Like these things will come up in conversation. Do you understand that, you know, this is how people buy, like in the modern world, it's not just this linear process. So I think those things just always help you get a feel for the client you're talking to and their expectations of things. I think their expectations, but two boundary setting, right? So I've been on calls before and, you know, I'm excited to work with this company and it's a big company. And then they go, somebody will say, if I spend a dollar, I want to make a dollar oh one and whatever. And I need to see it. And I go, okay, this is a math. This is just math for you. And you think that a social media post should have like a, oh, we get 20 posts a month and those 20 posts cost X thousand dollars. And those posts need to have a direct line to this much money. And I'm like, oh, okay. We're seeing this as uh, like we're trading commodities or something. And it's not, that's not what this is. So we'll set boundaries when we come in to meet with clients to go, here's our philosophy. Here's how we believe the content fits in and how it can create and help the business and help the bottom line. Sometimes we think organic social, like we'll work with companies that don't have a DTC component, for instance, right? They're only in retail. Say they're in every Walmart across the country. Okay. We just literally need to be getting in front of people. Like there's no way for us to prove that a person saw the ad and then went and purchased on Walmart. Like we can do some stuff with paid and promote and do some like location wrapping. If we want to get sales at a certain, you know, Walmart, we can wrap that Walmart with ads and we do some stuff, but it's not really that like, we're not doing that, you know, all the time. And at every, however many thousands of Walmarts there are. Right. So it's interesting, right? But when you work with a good executive team and they understand the role of marketing or they understand the role of SEO, it makes it so much easier to work with them. And I tell people all the time, if you're in-house and you're like having to fight for the importance of marketing to your executive team, get a new job because you can't fight to win over customers and be fighting your executives simultaneously. That war on two fronts is... <laughs> at least I'd love to hear your experience on it. In my experience, when you're doing the two fights, it's just like, you go home at the end of the day and want to pour yourself a stiff whiskey and just like <laughs> you're cursing out everybody. That's at least been my experience. Uh, have you had any luck converting executives or or how do you stand on that? Yeah, man. When I was in-house working for execs and especially a CEO, you know, I always worked at startups, so the company wasn't huge. So, you know, CEO was pretty available and transparent. Working for a CEO who understands marketing is like such a leg up and it gives you so much more freedom to be creative and like try different things. You know, there's this B2B marketer, Dave Gerhardt. He talks about this a lot on like Twitter and LinkedIn that like just all these like funny videos and gifts and stuff about like working for CEOs that don't get it. And it's true. Like if you work for an executive team that just doesn't get marketing or has these outdated thoughts of it, it just makes your life so much harder. It does. It's interesting. And I see the exec, there's probably an executive listening to this now who's like, well, yeah, but you have to be accountable for a spend. 
which I also agree with. And it's yeah, like this yin totally. and yang of like, because we've all seen companies that, well, maybe not in these days, but you know, five years ago, raised a ginormous Series A, and then suddenly they're doing Super Bowl commercials when they're not at that right. point, right? And you're like, <laughs> I also see that that you know people need to be held accountable on that side and get their expectations, set the boundaries, you know, and and work from there. I think that's pr- a lot easier to go back to than halfway through an engagement being like trying to redefine what the KPIs look like. Right now. I do want to, I'm going to be that guy, but all right, AI, talk to me about it. I see this thing. People are like, AI, I can't even go on social media without people talking about chat GPT. What's your take on it and content? You know, have, have you thought about it a ton or where do you see chat GPT and content creation, you know, right now and then ultimately where it's going? Yes. I don't think you can have a, a conversation on a podcast about SEO without tackling this at some point. So man, if I had to guess, this thing is just going to create, like marketers love shortcuts. This isn't going to make lazy, bad marketers any better. It's just going to make them produce more. It's going to make them more efficient at producing bad content. To me, most of it is like, especially from like a writing perspective, the content is very generic content. So it's like the same as hiring a very low quality writer. And so what I think is going to happen is a lot of teams are going to use it, try to create shortcuts, like basically take all the H2s right within a blog post, you know, all the subheads, plug it into ChatGPT, take what it spits out, do some light editing and boom, call it a day. And there you go. Google has had to deal with things like this in the past, right? Where people are, you know, when links, it was super easy to game links. They figured out how to get rid of like forum comments and all these like PBNs and like spammy links. When people were able to spin content and like take advantage of all these long tails that were basically the same thing, but just different long tail variations of the same idea, Google figured that out and crushed it. I think Google is going to, this is like their next challenge, right? Is like, how do we figure out this sea of AI content? And I think it honestly, it just goes back to the same principle. It's like, you should be creating content written by somebody who knows what they're talking about, has experience, has anecdotes, has lived it and breathed it, something that a machine can't do. And that is you know, quote unquote, good content. And so again, I think it's just going to make lazy marketers more efficient, not better at what they do or create better content. So personally, the way I use it, I use it for like, sometimes I have a headline that I don't love and I will go to whatever. I actually use Playground more than ChatGPT. I feel like it it's up more. I just ask it for 10 headline variations of this first one. I use it to write meta descriptions because meta descriptions don't really matter, right? It's just that subtext under the headline in in the SERPs, like spit out three, maybe I'll combine a couple, but like, I don't really want to think about a meta description, which isn't that helpful. It helps you get unstuck, right? If you just have, it should be an aid. It shouldn't be the thing that you're using to create content. That's kind of my stance on it all. And I, you know, there's tons of examples of, especially on like, niche site Twitter, people who create content sites, answering informational questions, whatever. They'll use this stuff to spin up hundreds of articles. You know, if they have a site that has some authority, they'll throw it up and boom, they're getting, you know, 50,000, 100,000 visitors in a couple months. But then the story is usually the same, right? Google catches on and drops their site fast. So, you know, you can use it for some short-term gains to do some really crazy stuff, but yeah, I hope I didn't just meander and kind of answer your question overall. No, no, it's good. I think about it the same way. I think it, look, I think you can put the best tools in the, it's a tool, right? Is the way I look at it. And if the worst plumber in the world has the best tools, he's still the worst plumber. And you can get to like 
with writing and content creation, crappy marketers are still going to have crappy content. What's going to happen is the internet's going to go from however many billion pages it is now to like a hundred times that size. And that's what I think we're going to see. I don't think any of the top, so the middle is going to widen so much, but I think the top level content is still going to be things that are, like you said, actually people who've lived it have the expertise, can give real advice that other people in that scenario will go, oh yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, that's right. Yep. That totally happens. Okay. Yep. I'm having that problem. I can do that. I also, I think you're going to see a lot more videos in the SERPs because you can't AI a how-to, maybe you can a how-to video, but if there's somebody there telling <laughs> the <yet>. story. Yeah. <laughs> not yet. It'll be there. It'll be there. If you have that person telling their story in a video, I could see that too being like, oh, okay. That's something that, yeah. you know, so solves the problem or, or gives that information. So Sorry to interrupt you, but you know what I think, one other point I want to add, you know what I think will also become more important? I mean, Google's always placed a big importance on links, but again, that is something you can't just AI, you can't just AI a bunch of links. So authority, you know, I think it is going to be one of those, the rich get richer. So if you have a good authoritative site, probably just going to benefit more, but if not, you're not an incumbent, whatever, like link building is going to be more important than ever, because again, you can't just AI links. So already a heavy weighting factor could it become more important right right because yeah like you just said it's gonna be really easy for people to produce a bunch of content but if the site's getting no links that might be in a, you know indicative of the site has no real authority yeah it's interesting and once again people if you're listening authority is different than popularity that's something too there's a lot of uh porn sites that are very popular but don't have authority right so i think that's an important distinction for people when they go okay what is authority on a topic right webmd has authority on how to cure a cold. Mayo, Mayo Clinic has authority on, yeah, symptoms of the flu, where right. I can spin up a blog tomorrow on that and it's not going to rank, right? I'm not getting linked to by universities and things like that. So it's interesting. I see it as a tool. My use cases are, yeah, I'll be like, hey, give me 10 ideas for YouTube videos about, you know, building a social marketing agency. And then just give me 10 ideas. And I'll be like, oh, they're kind of like thought starters. And then I make my own idea out of it but it can sometimes get the ball rolling. That's how I've been using it for content. But, oh, and like, yeah, sometimes getting a caption started on a post that I'm like, ah, I'm kind of stuck on a caption. I might be like, hey, give me a caption about if I'm talking about one, two, three, and it writes it, then I go edit it. I'm like, all right, cool. This is an Instagram caption. Right. I'm not worried about it being there forever. You know, Benji and Davish at Grow and Convert. Have you heard of that agency? Yeah, I watched, I've watched one of, of uh, a couple of their episodes. Yeah, they're buddies of mine. They run awesome agency as well. And they recorded this video. They have a YouTube channel talking about, you know, they use ChatGPT to create an article and compared it against an article they have. And they, their conclusion, I'll just try to summarize it. They have a really good video. If you have time, go check it out. Their conclusion is, again, same thing I'm talking about. It's like, it's really good at creating more generic content. It's really good at what a writer who's just used to publishing volume and doesn't really quite have the expertise and is just hitting a word count to hit a word count. It's at that level. It uses a lot of buzzwords. It uses a lot of things that just like, doesn't sound like me talking to you. It's, don't get me wrong, it's insane. Like I've used it and it's like, oh my God, I never thought AI would get here. Just overall for like a B2B SaaS company, you know, any anything that's not like really generic content, you know, you can just tell it's just generic. Yeah, and that's something too, if you're going down that content world, go look it up and, and play around with it and then think to yourself like, would I be comfortable selling this to somebody in a book? Would this sit on a, a tabletop at Starbucks? Would this rank on... Amazon books. And it's like, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> like if you go look at the narrative that's produced in like a top selling business book, a business book with over 500 reviews, go look how a chapter of one of those books is formatted. And it's like yeah. lived experience, 
anecdote, 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 general philosophy lesson. And you're there with the person and you're like, whoa, that was well thought out. There was editors involved. Like I took away a learning from that. And I tried to think about, you know, content structure, kind of like a chapter of a book. If I'm going to do that, like how does this author of this best-selling book that's had a bunch of people compile information, tell stories, how do I do that? And it's, yeah, it's interesting to kind of go through and weigh. Because on the flip side of it, when I want a recipe, I don't want to hear a life story. Just tell me the recipe. So there's that component too, right? Where I'm like, I don't want to hear about when somebody on a recipe blog was at their grandma's cottage and smelled the cinnamon. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just show me how to make the pie. So <laughs> it's <laughs> that's the only example. Where I don't know I don't why Google, like, Google still rewards recipe sites. Like the reason recipe sites do that is because everyone else has 3,000 words on their page. And it works. And so everyone else does it. And luckily, at least now you see, you know, I see it on most recipe sites I go to, like at the top, there's like the jump to recipe link. Yeah. So yeah. And, you know, a lot of recipe sites, they run off display ads. So if you don't have a mound of text, you don't get as many display ads to show and your RPMs go down. So yeah, man, I don't know when Google's going to figure that one out, but I'm with you. I, yeah, I like it now. They have the, the jump to recipe too. Cool. Emil, before I let you go, let people know where can they connect with you online or where the best place is? Yeah, I'm at uh, Twitter at Emil Shore, E-M-I-L-S-H-O-U-R. I know that one's a hard one to spell. And same thing on LinkedIn. And a buddy of mine, uh, we just started a podcast slash YouTube channel called Seeking Profit. If you're interested in starting your own SEO-oriented websites, building profitable online businesses, we talk about that every week. So check us out on YouTube at Seeking Profit. Awesome. And I will link to all of those in the show notes. Emil, thanks again for coming on today. Thanks, man. Awesome. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode of Mind Your Marketing. As always, hit that like, subscribe, share, whatever buttons are at the bottom of the player. Hit hit one of those. Help us out. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.